0: Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, we're gonna be looking at verses seven through 17, which is the second half, really, of one particular vision. Revelation chapter 12, verses seven through 17. Now a war Rejoice, O heavens, and all you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman who was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask for his help. Father in heaven, would you help us to understand? Would you equip us and give us wisdom so that as we read this and hear this, that Lord, we would know how to respond in our lives specifically. We pray that you would teach us and that you would change us, that you would strengthen our faith and prepare us for spiritual war. In Jesus' name, amen. If you know me well or if you've been around enough, you probably know, you might know, it's probably a better way to say it, you might know that I believed in the devil long before I believed in God. I definitely believed in the devil long before I believed in Jesus. And it's not because I was raised by Satanists. Most of y'all, a lot of y'all knew my mom. She's passed away. My dad, you guys, a lot of you know them. And they are now followers of Jesus. But my sister's right here. We grew up in a home where God was not a part of the family. Uh, God was never mentioned. He was never the source of a solution, Uh, he was never the one to whom we would appeal for answers or to help. God did not exist in my home growing up. Neither did the devil, not explicitly anyways, But I found my way to the devil because I was asking a whole lot of questions. I was asking questions about why as a kid, why are we here? Why does life, why is life so hard? Why am I so miserable? Why is it that I am a white middle-class kid in Geneva, Illinois, but I'm miserable and want to kill myself? What is wrong with me? Asking all kinds of questions and nobody had any answers for me. There was no Christian telling me the truth of a holy God who still loves sinful people, who put into place a plan of redemption to redeem me from my despair. There was no one around me to tell me that God loved me and sent his son to die as a substitute for sinners. There was no one telling me the gospel, the mystery of the gospel, the truth of God's word. There was nobody. But what I did find my way to were books on the occult and witchcraft and then Satanism. And so, yes, it's as cliche as you can imagine an 80s kid getting into Satanism. It's as cliche as, as, as you can imagine. I, I admit it, I agree, it's embarrassing. And boy, did I find that the devil gave me exactly what I wanted. He had answers that were very satisfying to me and to my flesh and to my ignorance. Very satisfying to me. Gave me the answers that I wanted. Gave me a lot that I wanted, actually. And you might think, like, okay, well, so a person who, you know, who goes down that path, they probably have a lot of interactions with the devil and really got really wrapped up. And you had, they, I mean... They are probably really close, and the devil probably had a whole lot more going on in their life than maybe someone else's life, but you would be wrong. You see, the, only the dumbest of the dumb follow the devil when he reveals himself to be the devil, right? Satan shows up, and he's like, hey, man, it's me, Satan. Uh, you want to kick it? You want to hang? And you're like, yeah, man, let's do that. You're a dummy. Most people, though, are won over by the devil, not when he presents himself as the evil one, as the accuser and the liar, But as the angel of light, the enlightened one, the beautiful one, the one who is sympathetic and understanding and supportive to you and all of your needs, the reality is, the devil is as active in a person's life who is morally upright and an example in their society. He's as active there as he is in another person life who is characterized by sexual immorality and all of the taboo sins that aren't fit to be mentioned in polite company. And this is part of what I want us to see, what the devil is doing, what the devil is doing in our world and therefore in our lives. Too many of us think the devil has nothing going on in my life because I follow Jesus. So the devil's out. You are wrong. The devil is active in our lives, seeking to do great harm. Last week, we had the same sermon summary and theme as we have this week. It's the continuation, right? Satan wants to destroy you, and he works at it, and he's actually good at it. He's been doing this for 2,000 years. Satan wants to destroy you, but Christ promises to deliver you. This is what we see. Now, before we even get into the, the, this Vision, again, because we're talking here about this great dragon, we're talking about the devil. So let me give you the the big picture of the vision on the front end, then we're gonna talk about Satan a little bit. So in this vision that begins in verse one of chapter 12, we have these three characters, the woman and the dragon and the child, right? Highly symbolic vision where we have a woman who is pregnant, ready to give birth to a son, and the woman represents the people of god right it's 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 israel leading into the church it's the people of god through which the messiah would arrive right and then most specifically through mary So we've got the people of God, that's the woman, and the the woman is about to give birth to the child. Christ is going to arrive, and when Christ arrives, he will destroy the devil. Well, there's a dragon who knows that the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming. The dragon is Satan, and he's like, I am going to destroy this child. I'm going to devour that child and get rid of him. And so even before Christ was born, the devil was seeking to destroy the child by virtue of destroying the, the lineage, the family tree. On and on, he tried to destroy the Jews, couldn't do it. Christ arrives, can't do it. child is born, the devil is waiting, but he can't destroy the child. In fact, the child is then taken up, ascends into heaven, and then the devil begins to focus on the woman, the church. And the woman flees to the wilderness, and there she is protected and nourished by God. So that's what we've covered so far in the vision Now, before we go any further, let me just take a minute to just briefly talk a bit about Satan. Now, there's a whole lot that I really want to communicate in this message that I simply cannot, not because I'm not allowed, not because uh, anybody would be upset, but because we don't have time. So I'm going to cover what I can. But let me just say this. Satan is a being that was created by God for his glory. And when he was created, he was good. He was righteous. He was beautiful. He was amazing. Satan or Lucifer. Back before, he was Brilliant! He was good, just like all of God's creation. You remember the beginning of Genesis? God made all things, and all things were. Good, right? Because God made them, but something happened. Something happened in the mind, in the heart of this being, this angelic being, Satan, and he fell. Now, there are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that biblical scholars and theologians throughout the centuries have said, this not only points to a worldly ruler who was corrupt and fell, but it also, because of its extreme language, is clearly telling us what happened with the devil, who is the ruler of this world, right? So let me give you a, a couple of examples One is in Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning in verse 12. Listen. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways. From the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire Your heart was proud because of your beauty You corrupted your wisdom For the sake of your splendor I cast you to the ground I exposed you before kings To feast their eyes on you We have this This dramatic picture Of this angelic being Who filled with pride Rebelled against God To make much of himself He Rebelled, he fell, and is cast out. Read this also in Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah 14, starting verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, How you are cut down to the ground who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. The devil was God's angel, created for God's glory to do good things, but he rebelled and has been cast out. Now, when did all this happen? It happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and we don't really have any more information than that. That would have been the time frame in which he made it, and when this happened, because in Genesis 2, all things are good that God made. In Genesis 3, there comes Satan tempting Eve. And after he is cast out of his place of honor and privilege, he continues in his rebellion with the angels that he had amassed to go with him. And what is he doing? He is tempting God's people, attacking, deceiving the world. And yet, throughout this time, he would appear before God. If you read the Old Testament, you see he does this a few times. There's a couple of accounts where he walks into the throne room, like he shows up, and he wants to talk to God about some of God's people, and what he wants to do, think the book of Job, he wants to talk about how Job is a poser, he's a a player, he's not, he doesn't really love you, he's accusing Job of being a phony. And he says, listen, the only reason he even loves you and follows you is because you give him all the good stuff. Look at his wife, look look at his kids, look at his money, look at his farms, look at his possessions. If you let me take it away, he's gonna curse you. So he is in the throne room of God accusing Job of being a fake. And this is what Satan continued to do even after being removed from his position of power and authority. He sought to destroy Jesus as we said, we saw this last week, he sought to destroy the Christ before his arrival and upon his, his arrival, and now he's coming after the church. And so this is where we are in the vision. Now in the first few verses, verses seven through nine here, the first part of this, we see that there is a war in heaven, And this war in heaven is a picture of what was happening in the heavenly realms while Christ's ministry was being accomplished on earth. So what we're about to read is what was happening while Jesus was healing the sick, preaching the gospel, feeding the masses. While he was doing all of this, this is what was happening in the heavenly. Now a war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is the war that was taking place in heaven while Christ was accomplishing his earthly ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing, casting out demons. Throughout Christ's ministry, Satan was being overthrown. He's the ruler of this world, right? That's what scripture says again and again. And yet his power was diminishing. His reign was weakening. And we see this in a, a number of places. For example, in Matthew 12, specifically verses 28 and 29, but in Matthew 12, Jesus is casting out demons. His disciples are casting out demons. And the Pharisees are like, you're casting out those demons by, by, by the power of Satan. Stop that. And Jesus says, well, first of all, that doesn't make any sense. If I was doing that, then Satan would be beating Satan, so you should be happy, okay? Um, But that's not what I'm doing. I'm actually doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm doing this by the power of the Spirit, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he says this. He says, besides, you can't just walk into a strong man's house and take his stuff. You've got to get in there, and you've got to wrap him up. You've got to bind him. You've got to throw him to the side. Then you can plunder his goods. And Jesus, the implication here is that Jesus says, listen, I've come into the strong man's house, the ruler of this age. I've come into this kingdom that he has built and I am taking it. I've bound him and now I'm taking it. I'm taking captive a host of captives. I'm redeeming, I'm saving, I'm rescuing. Bound the strong man. After he sends out all of his disciples to preach and to cast out demons, they come back and they're like, I can't believe it's working. This is amazing. And then Jesus says, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. In the vision, Satan is being cast down, down to the earth, no longer having access to those heavenly places. You see, he was appearing in the throne room, appearing before God to accuse God's people of being fake, but he's been cast out. Christ's ministry has crippled satan's work he can only exist in this worldly earthly plane because jesus has ascended jesus sits enthroned all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him he sits on his throne in session ruling reigning satan ain't getting in so he's down he's down here Now, this war mentions Michael, right? Michael, the archangel, and his angels fighting against the devil and his. While Christ was doing this, there was this battle. If you don't know who Michael is, uh, do a little Bible study, do a little research. Use the Bible dictionary, Bible encyclopedia. But Michael, archangel, protector of Israel, right? Different angels had different purposes and functions. So here we have Michael, the archangel, guardian of Israel, guardian of God's people, leading an army of angels against Satan and his. And so we see what's hap- what's being described here has been the whole theme of the book. The theme of the book is the victory of Christ and the church over the devil and the world. Satan has been cast down. He doesn't appear before God to accuse us. If he wants to accuse us, he's got to do it up close and personal to us individually. And he does. He is the great dragon, the ancient serpent, the devil, the Satan. Right? We We see all of these words, and again, to call him the great dragon demonstrates that he is powerful. Yes, he has lost. Yes, he's been beaten, but he's still active and he's still dangerous. He is not omnipotent. He is not omniscient. He can't read your mind, but he can know how you think. He is dangerous, though he's not divine. He's called the ancient serpent because, yes, this is the one who's been with us from the very beginning in Genesis, tempting Eve. He is the devil, Satan, the deceiver, the accuser. And here, Satan remains active in his work. So there's this war in heaven that relegates Satan to the world, no longer having access to the heavenly realm. And then there's this announcement in heaven in verses 10 through 12, right, which sounds a lot like a song, and a lot of scholars believe that this is a song. Listen, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So here is this song of praise. Jesus has accomplished salvation in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, in all of his teaching and in all of his obedience to the Father's will. In his casting out of demons, in his death on the cross, where he took our place and died for our sins, in his resurrection from the dead and ascension into heaven. In all of that, Jesus has accomplished for us forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And therefore, he has delivered us from the rule or the reign of Satan. Our enemy has been defeated. Though he is defeated, he is still active. In fact, the, that he knows he is defeated amps him up to be even perhaps more active more frantic we'll talk about that in a minute but in this part of the vision we see that salvation has been announced and accomplished therefore we are conquerors more than conquerors even right our confidence is in the death or the blood of Jesus Christ they conquered him the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So there's two things here to keep in mind. Our confidence in the world against the devil is not in us but in Christ. We know that he is ruined because he was conquered by the son of God actually being murdered because all of it was a part of the plan by which Christ would disarm the, the, the power that these spiritually, these demonic spiritual entities had. They've lost their power. They've lost their authority because Christ has made full atonement. Our confidence is in Christ's blood because what do we see in Christ's blood? We see the love of God, right? God's love is demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and there's nothing that can separate us from God's love, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So our confidence is in Christ's blood and what do we now have? By which we continue to overcome the devil. The word of our testimony. We overcome by the word of our testimony. Now, that's not overcoming the devil with our words, but with God's word, with God's gospel. It is a declaration or an announcement or a heralding of all that has been accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. That's our boast. That's our message. That's what I needed somebody to tell me when I was lost and asking questions. This is the only message that we have that changes lives, that rescues people out of hell, out of the grip of Satan, out of despair. It's the only message that we have that is a paradigm-shattering truth that will transform someone's life and renew their soul. The gospel is our boast, the word of our testimony. And this gives us confidence unto the end, even unto death. And so in this part of the passage We see heaven rejoicing And earth readying right, So heaven rejoices it says Because hey rejoice Because the devil's gone Party time But for you on the earth This is bad Because now all of his attention Is on you All of his attention is there He's focused He's hyper focused He's hyper vigilant Because he knows his time is short Look again at verse 12 takes me a minute to find it. Here we go. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and all you who dwell in them, but woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. He knows the end game. I don't know how much he believes it, but he knows it, and so he is amped and ready. He is hard at work doing what the devil does, which is opposing the church in such a way to seek to destroy us, to ruin us, and to continue to deceive the world from believing in Christ. And we see this in this last section here, verses 13 through 17. Look with me here. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. It sounds like Lord of the Rings. It's crazy, right? Because it's, it's vision. It's apocalyptic. It's not fantasy. Fantasy is based on visionary and apocalyptic literature oftentimes and it's, in its depiction of the story. But this is a vision of what is real. So to say that it is a vision and apocalyptic is not the same thing as saying that it is fantasy. The woman, the church, is given wings by which we don't just flee but fly away to safety. In other words, we are divinely enabled and protected to not only flee from the devil's attacks but to be strengthened in the midst of them, to be nourished and preserved through them. And where do we go? We go to the wilderness. The the church is depicted as growing wings and flying to the wilderness where, what? Where the people of God are tested and proven. Where Israel was tested. Where Jesus in Luke 4 was tested and tempted and persevered. This is what we have. The church fleeing from the devil in order to be protected. Protected. The serpent poured water like a river out of its mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. So the the serpent now is looking to swallow up the church, to devour the church, excuse that. The woman is looking to um, hide herself and be protected. The devil spews forth this water and it's a flood meant to envelop or to bury, to consume the church, But what happens is the attack of the devil, the flood, is actually swallowed up by the earth. The earth winds up protecting the church. Now, not the earth is a philosophical system, right? But in God's providence, there is no way that the dragon can concede, can can, uh, be victorious uh, over the woman. The earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river, that the dragon had poured forth from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So for the sake of time, I want us to keep the big picture here. The church resists the devil, flees from the devil, finds safety, protection, and nourishment in God through Jesus Christ... This is what we have. And yet, that just means that Satan is coming for us. He is gunning for you. And one of the big mistakes that we make is to think like, well, as a Christian, I don't have to worry about it, or the devil's not involved, or you know what? I went through some kind of deliverance ministry in the 90s, so I'm totally clean, the devil can't touch me now. Whatever nonsense we believe to kind of comfort ourselves from thinking that we're not living in some kind of a horror movie, when in reality we are. The devil is real and he wants to ruin you. He has a plan and a strategy. He's good at this. He doesn't have a one-size-fits-all approach. He only does so many things, but he does them in a million different ways for millions of different people. So let me just tell you three things that Satan does. There's much more that could be said, much more that needs to be said. We don't have time. I'm just gonna give you three. Three things that Satan does. Number one, he lies. He lies. He de- deceives, right? We see this right away in the beginning, in the garden. He lies to Eve, right? He's, he's twisting what God had said. Did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? And Eve's like, no, of course not. He said we can't eat from the one tree, the, knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can't eat of that one. The rest are fine. He's like, really? The reason God doesn't want you to eat that is because he doesn't want you to become like him. That's why. So the devil starts poisoning Eve's mind, lying to her, deceiving her. And this is what the devil does. He's very good at it. Listen to John chapter eight, starting in verse 39. They answered Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of, that your father did. And they said to him, "We were not born of sexual immorality; we have one Father, even God." And Jesus said to them, "If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is not because it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. The devil is the father of lies and he lies, right, in order to deceive. He lies in order to lead us away from the truth and he does this in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes he is lying to people in the world to blind them from the truth of the gospel, right? He is trying to keep them away from hearing the good news, to keep them rooted in a belief system or in a faith system that makes the gospel wholly unappealing. So there's false religion lies. There are also lies that the devil uses uh, to uh, lead Christians into a corrupt kind of theology. The devil doesn't have to come at, like, the big doctrines, to get into our lives and to wreak havoc, he just needs to get in, he can find one point of entry, one small doctrine and he begins to twist, he begins to turn, he begins to lie and that is one of the ways in which the devil begins to move us. It's all designed to lead us, it's all designed, see deception ultimately leads to a kind of, if not distortion, destruction. You know what else? Listen, some of the lies that the devil gets us to believe don't even have anything to do with the Bible. Some of the lies that the church is really distracted by are just plain old conspiracy theories. Now, there's like one in a thousand conspiracy theories that turn out to be like, oh, that's totally true. That's like not just a theory. That's been shown to be true. But most of the conspiracy theories, make no mistake about it, When the church is grabbing hold of them, it is a tool, an instrument used by the devil to get us off of the point, the mission of the church, the glory of God, the gospel that we're supposed to be preaching. His lies deceive, distract, distort, and then ultimately destroy. If he's not lying, he's tempting, right? It's another thing the devil does. The devil tempts. Again, we see it in the garden, but it's been happening all along. Christ was tempted in the wilderness. When he was at his weakest... Some of you all think like, oh, big deal. Jesus was hungry, and the devil tempted him to have bread, and Jesus was like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, that's not what it was. You do know that, right? Jesus was fasting. His body was at the end of its run. Like, he was fading, and the devil comes in to tempt him at his weakest moment. You know what that's like. The difference between you and Jesus is that Jesus persevered, and you I cave. I cave. The devil tempts us, which means he lures us by appealing to our weaknesses and our interests and our sin, just like those lies, distract us and then destroy us. Listen, if the devil wants to destroy you, uh, he doesn't have to say like, hey, here's a, here's a big pile of cocaine. Have fun. Because most of y'all, most of y'all would be like, not interested, don't want a pile of cocaine. Or, hey, here's a way to destroy your marriage. Or, here is, here is an addiction that's going to wreck your life. Most of us be like, why would I want to do that? You're not one decision away from ruining your life. You're maybe three decisions away, five decisions away from blowing everything up. And the devil knows that because he's smarter than you. So he'll start with a small thing. He'll move you incrementally. He will tempt you and see you give in and you'll go closer and closer and closer to the edge until you are hungry to jump off. The devil lies. He tempts. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5. Here's how real the temptation problem is. 1 Thessalonians 3:5 here's what Paul says to his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. He's like, I had to find out about you because I became afraid that you were being tempted and led astray by the devil. I was nervous that I was gonna find out that you guys had completely collapsed. He lies, he tempts, and you know what else he does? He accuses. He does more than this, but these are three big ones. He accuses. Now, he doesn't go into the throne room and and accuse us before God, but now he whispers in our ears. He accuses us. And I swear, I swear, I know what it's like for the devil to be involved in my life as a non-Christian. He is terrifyingly real as a Christian and where I have felt it the most is in the realm of accusation where the devil seems to be whispering like you are such a fake you barely believe in fact you don't even really believe the faith that you have is just a, a convenient affirmation of doctrinal truth you don't have faith or affection for God you don't really believe if you did you wouldn't be doing the things that you do you'd make more progress you'd bear more fruit the devil's constantly whispering in our ears in different ways, accusing us of either being failures or being nobodies or, or being fake, of, not going, of, of being people who are not going to make it, who are definitely, certainly going to give in to our worst impulses. The devil likes to accuse us. He's still, he's still coming for me, and this, this is where I tend to see it, right? Right? But the devil accuses you, he's getting you to focus on yourself. He wants you to see yourself. And and the reason he's good at this is because oftentimes he's just showing you who you are. He doesn't have to trick you. No offense. You are kind of losers, right? We're all kind of losers. We we sin. We fail. We mess up. We're broken. We're backwards. We, 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 We do the wrong thing. You're supposed to love this person and you're supposed to serve this person. And what do you do? You say mean things. You hurt their feelings. We're supposed to put God and others first and we put ourselves first. The devil just holds up a mirror to us but then he talks to us about that reflection and he goes, you see, look at yourself, focus on yourself, look, what do you see there? Failure, unworthiness. And he's not wrong. We're unworthy and we're failures. You see, you focus on yourself and it's easy, it's easy to find your way back into despair. This is why Robert Murray McChain said for every look you take at yourself take 10 looks to Christ and you see yourself for what you are in your brokenness, weakness. Focus more on Christ because he's your hope, he's your salvation, he's your redemption. And when the devil comes to you and starts to say, look at you, why would God love you? You're a mess, you're broken. Why would God choose you? Why would God use you? You are pathetic. Instead of arguing with the devil, agree with him. You're absolutely right. Here's what Martin Luther said. When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him, I admit, I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. You're absolutely right. I'm unworthy, unlovely. I am spiritually ugly in myself, but God loves me anyways. You see, that's, that's the beauty. You get off of yourself and look to the Lord, and there you see what? Unrelenting, unending, eternal love and affection that cannot be broken by any strategy of the devil or any failure on your part. See, Satan wants you to either love yourself so much that you deify yourself or he wants you to hate yourself so much that you destroy yourself. He wants you to forget about Christ and see only yourself. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to destroy you. He is real, people. But, Well, you should not ignore him. You don't have to be afraid of him because Christ promises to deliver you. But the promise of deliverance means a guarantee of affliction, doesn't it? To promise I'm going to deliver you means, okay, you're gonna need delivering. You're gonna be attacked. You're gonna be hurt. You're gonna be bloody. You're gonna be weary, but I will bring you through it. One last passage. We'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse, we'll do, let's do uh, 14. Since therefore the children, that's us, people of God. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, we are all humans, human race, one race, we're all the same. Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver You will be tempted, you will be tested You will be lied to by the devil You will face accusation And at every point along the way when the, when the fight is real And you're called to resist the devil You don't do it on your own You have the assurance that greater is he who is in you Than he who is in the world You have the assurance that Christ has suffered All these temptations himself And is victorious over them And in his victory he now helps you We don't need to be hyper-focused on Satan. We don't need to find a demon behind, you know, every TV show and every news story. Uh, But we do need to be aware that the devil has a strategy of spiritual attack that does cause great harm to many believers. What we need to do is to be so rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ that the word of our testimony, our song, our message is with us at all times, first for ourselves so that we don't forget, and then for the world that they might be saved. Because without that message, they have nothing but the oppression of the devil. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors and we are ambassadors who have been gifted the opportunity to speak on behalf of our Lord as we proclaim his life and his death and his resurrection for all other unworthy sinners. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to see how much help you have given us in Christ Lord, that we, would, that we would not forget it or take it for granted, Lord, that we would take advantage of all of these things, Lord, that we would cherish them, that we would love your word, delight in it, read it, that we would pray for one another and encourage one another, that we wouldn't attempt to, to engage in these spiritual fights on our own, but to be honest with each other for mutual edification and help. Lord, help us to see that this is a real spiritual problem that can cause real spiritual damage if we're not ready for the fight. So Lord, help us to see the devil for who he he is and, and what he is and what he does. But help us to remain confident in Christ who is our king, who is Lord over all. Amen.